0: Committees are forming, hearing schedules are still being worked out. You might say the blob, that is the 118th Congress, still hasn't quite gelled, yet it's got a lot to do. We get the rundown from Bloomberg Government Deputy News Director Lauren Duggan. Did I put it the right way, Lauren? They've kind of still getting themselves organized. Here we are in late
1: January. Very much so, and it's a little different on the two chambers. So on the House side, they elected their speaker after that week-long process, and... They started passing some bills and they've been, at least on the different party sides, looking to name members to committees and starting to form those. So I think we'll see a lot more activity there this week. The Senate basically came in for one day on January 3rd, swore in the new members and then left town. So they're a little bit farther behind in terms of setting up committees and getting things going there. Now there, the the party control didn't shift. Democrats had it last year. Democrats have it this year. They do have this now one seat majority, 51 to 49, if you account for all the aligned Democrats. Democrats and and independents who align with them. So we're going to see a lot more organizing activity this week that builds off of that. So you're very much correct that they're still coming up to speed to be a fully functioning body that we'll expect to see over the next couple of weeks and months as they tackle a lot of important business.
0: And what about appointments? Because the Biden administration, I think, put in a 100 nominations the moment the Congress was available, because that's clearly a priority for the administration.
1: Yeah, that's right. So anything that wasn't acted on by the end of the Congress went back. Um, and many of them, like you suggested, came right back from the administration who renominated them. So we're already going to see a vote today. Tonight, there's a vote on. A nominee for the defense department to run the environmental and energy programs things like that fairly non-controversial nominee and they'll probably do more of those this week as they stand up the committees because you need to have committees in place to have the hearings and get those processes rolling the judiciary committee is going to be looking at judges as they have over the last several years trying to run up the numbers for biden appointments to the courts but we also have a number of key agencies that are lacking a full-time head IRS and Danny Werfel, who I assume we'll see some action on in the finance committee, and then one that Charles Schumer, the majority leader, has put at a top priority is the head of the FAA, especially given the meltdowns that occurred there a couple of weeks ago, and he really wants to see some action there. Nominees can be slowed by the minority party, but really can't be stopped if the majority can hold together. It only takes 50 votes to cut off debate and to get those through the floor. So it probably will be an efficient factory once it gets going. And we'll start seeing that even as soon as tonight with some of the less controversial. Yeah,
0: we'll see how fast all the Lucy's in there can eat the chocolates going by as they, uh, they work on the conveyor belt of nominations. But you mentioned two that are super critical because the IRS will have submitted a huge spending plan for the billion extra they expect to get over the next 10 years. And so you kind of need a commissioner to make sure that all happens. And presuming that new commissioner likes the plan that was submitted before he got there, that's another issue. And with FAA, you even have the airlines now starting to complain about the system is jamming, 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 and airlines can't, I think United had said, they can't fly the schedules they publish. And so that in some way, not so subtly, mitigates on the FAA.
1: Right. So, I mean, I think the FAA administrator nominee is going to face a number of tough questions about what happened. And I think there's disputes over whether he's the best person to do this. And I think we might hear from Republicans questioning some of his bona fides there. But it is also an FAA reauthorization year where there's a pretty major piece of legislation that needs to be written by September 30th or the previous one extended to keep that agency operating. So the FAA is going to be a focus of a lot of activity on both chambers, um, the House Transportation Committee and then the, the Senate Commerce Committee, as well. They'll both be looking at that, looking at this nomination and looking at ways to improve the system, especially given those meltdowns. I mean, like you say, with the IRS, the House's first bill that it passed after it organized was one to cancel that $80 billion, which has been a target from House Republicans. And Senate Republicans don't really like that pool of money either. So I imagine that a lot of the attention in that nomination process will be on the IRS with its additional funding and how they intend to spend that, whether it's on agents or technology or whatever that plan will say. So those are two really high-profile things with a lot of money at stake already in the pipeline and in the pipeline to come.
0: And the name of that FAA nominee is Phil Washington, and he was just nominated in in December. We're speaking with Lauren Duggan, Deputy News Director at Bloomberg Government. And besides the Holman rule, there's an attempt to raise that ugly head, ugly in the point of view of maybe the federal workforce, whose salaries can be reduced to one dollar if someone doesn't like something in an appropriations bill. So they're going to be looking at that. And then also the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is coming up, huh?
1: Yeah, this is going to be a bill on the House floor this week saying if you want to tap into the Strategic Petroleum Reserve again, you have to come up first with a plan to increase oil and gas leases. You know, it's a small bill with a one idea kind of, but what the House Republicans are looking to do is have a pretty open and free-ranging debate on that piece of legislation. One of the things that Republicans have said is that the House was too tightly controlled without opportunities to offer amendments. They're going to have a lot of opportunity here to offer amendments on that bill, maybe on the floor for maybe a day or two or three as we see how this plays out. Probably a lot of pent-up interest in actually getting to the floor and offering amendments. You mentioned the Holman rule. That's something that's going to come into play later this year when they debate the fiscal 2024 appropriations bills. And again, I think there's going to be a lot of interest in different Republicans to target different agencies or different agency officials whose decisions they haven't liked. The House obviously doesn't have a say in nominations. People don't get to vote on that over in the House. But this is a way for them to shine the spotlight on one individual worker or um, official who they don't agree with the actions of. So I think that Holman rule is going to be an interesting aspect of appropriations, something that the local delegation really pushed against, too. They did not want that rule to come back. It's an old-time rule that sort of fell into disuse, and we're going to see, I, I believe, used Probably a lot over the summer.
0: And for a certain element of the Republicans in the House, I just mention it because it would take cycles away from some of the important business that is government wide. But the box behind the Corvette is the best thing since the hunter in the Corvette.
1: That's right. I think that the investigations that the House Republicans want to launch, um, they have another target here, obviously, with what's gone on with President Biden and the papers at his house at the Penn Center here in D.C. and elsewhere and juxtaposing that with How they think that the raids at Mar-a-Lago went. So I I think that's going to be a ripe target for them. They created this panel called it's a subcommittee on, as they say, the weaponization of the federal government. That could be a forum for this. Uh, James Comer, who is in charge of the Oversight and Accountability Committee, as it's now known, has a lot of targets, including Hunter Biden and his business dealings. And I'm sure this will come up there as well because the remit for that committee is so wide. So there are a number of targets we're going to see here. um, Different panels that have been created and. Probably a lot of people called to testify here soon on what's gone on here.
0: Right. And I think they're also going to have their sights on some of the departments too, some of the big agencies, the FBI. Again, you know, without taking sides here, but there's been a lot of controversy about some of their activities with respect to whether they're political in the investigations they pursue and so on, whether they treated the Trump paper revelation the same way as the Biden papers revelation. That's going to take up a lot of cycles.
1: It may indeed take up a lot of cycles with a lot of questions. And maybe FBI Director Ray called up by a number of different panels to answer for that, including the so-called weaponization panel. So I think they're going to have a lot of time up there. DHS Secretary Mayorkas and the policies at the border and things that have gone there with Title 42 and it being on the verge of expiring the knot as it's wound its way through the courts. He's going to be in the line of questioning a lot this coming year with even some people already proposing that he be impeached. So, you know, I think there's going to be a lot here. And the Democrats who are on Capitol Hill are going to have to offer a defense for the administration and fight back. And folks like Jamie Raskin at Oversight and Accountability and presumably whomever named on this weaponization of federal government, they're going to have to make robust defenses and fight back against this as they have these televised hearings over the next couple of months and for really the next two years.
0: And at some point, they're going to have to do something about a budget.
1: Right. So the budget is locked in through September 30th, um, and they're going to wait for the Biden administration to send up what they have in their requests. But hanging over that, of course, is the debt ceiling, which really isn't about the budget we're about to spend, but what we've locked into place through appropriations bills, mandatory spending, and the revenue picture. That's really the dominant fiscal debate that will be joined soon. Some people don't want it to be a debate. The White House has said it doesn't really want to negotiate, but Republicans are wanting something in return for raising the debt limit, whether it's spending caps or spending cuts or or um, commissions to look at this picture more holistically. That's really going to be the first debate because we hit the debt limit last week. We're operating through extraordinary measures, but at some point, you know, we have to do something about this or else there's going to be a lot of concern in the markets and elsewhere about what that means.
0: Right. And with respect to the 2024 budget, we'll know more when we see the submission coming from the White House. And that should be another few weeks, probably. Well, optimistically, another month.
1: Yeah, I would think so. The late enactment of the appropriations bills has probably slowed that down. And they they want to account for the funding that was there before they asked for new funding. And obviously, that takes some time. But I'm sure a lot of people are having late nights and weekends at OMB getting ready for that budget release at some point in the near future.
0: Lauren Duggan is Deputy News Director at Bloomberg Government. Thanks so much. Thank you. And we'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the podcast edition wherever you get your shows.
2: Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, Visit SpecialOlympics.org/get-involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane. It's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, one of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from from the NFL. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit. You know, they they basically were in direct care, and and I will say, and on I obviously will say about my my family, my mother, and my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are are really, um, you know, we we can't do enough to salute them. I I Tim Triver, my boss the chairman uh says all the time and I couldn't agree with him more uh, we get more than we give uh working the special olympics it, you know we and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do but but we're the lucky ones we, those of us that work here are the lucky ones cuz I